0: We've had a great week of prayer fasting this week. We met for three nights as a church, and um, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday night, just here in this space, I want to thank particularly the musicians that served us during those three days, and this morning, I want to honor them, so thank you guys. Um, we, uh, we were saying how that we, uh, for 10 years, have as a community, have been gathering here, trying to practice the way of Jesus, learning how to be a a worshiping prayerful community, and we always mark or take time in our year to have a week of prayer and fasting. So if you've been praying and fasting this week, if you've been booking into the prayer room behind me in the, in the small room behind, if you've been down at our gatherings, um, uh, know that you're feeding into the, the life of this place, and um, there's so much more for us, so let's not stop um, praying and fasting in these days. We're gonna keep on um, particularly through Lent, we're going to keep on. This morning, I'm going to talk about practicing presence. We're three weeks into that series. Um, hopefully, that it, uh, it really connects with um, what we've been doing this week. Um, I wasn't very good at school. In uh, uh, sorry, let me just say it again. I wasn't very good at science in school. Um, uh, it wasn't that I hated science um, or anything. It just I just wasn't very good at it. So, with much respect to all the scientists in the room, if you're here, um, I really enjoyed you know Bunsen Burner Day. You know the demo day in science. When you walked into the classroom and the Bunsen burners, right, you knew like happy days. We're gonna be exploding stuff, making stuff fizz and bang. I liked that that kind of day in, um, in in chemistry lab. Um, those were my kind of days. I remember particularly a different kind of class, astronomy class, physics. Um, and I don't know if Jack Bragg is out here today. We do have our resident astrophysicist. Um, I don't think he's here this morning, so I can just get away with he's not Oh, is he not? Oh, there you go. Okay, there you go. A very small amount. Okay, okay, fair enough. I told you I wasn't very good at science. I don't even know the categories of science. What is, uh, what is his role? Quantum mechanics. Okay, there you go. <laughs> totally knew the difference, yeah. So I went... Uh, astronomy, yes. I went to the Armah Planetarium. Who's been to the planetarium in Armah ever? You've been there with school, yes. And when I got there, I saw there's so much to see in that place and so much, obviously that I have to learn clearly. Um, when I went to the planetarium, uh, I was in the, the Dome Theater, there was a theater there, and you look up, it's a bit like being outside, you look up at the night sky and you see these little twinkling lights, little pinpoints of light just striking you to the naked eye, barely visible against the black backdrop, just like you would when you're walking out on a starry night. And um, but then you get behind a telescope, and you look through the telescope and you zoom in, and you take another look up close, and you see these little twinkly dots. They're sort of suspended in the vast darkness, and you actually realise that they're actually like they're like massive planet-sized things. We have a picture, I think, of the biggest star um, in our main galaxy, in our galaxy, um, our sun. The sun. Um, this is a photo as it appeared in October. 2017. Um, so let me read some facts about the sun. When you actually get close up and see this, um, the sun accounts for 99.8% of the mass of our solar system. Um, it has a mass of around 330,000 times the Earth. Um, over about one million Earths can fit inside the sun. Okay. Um, uh, yeah, if you were to hollow it out. Um, the sun is also like a perfect sphere, or as close to perfect um, as you could, could possibly get. The sun is traveling at 220 kilometers per second, which is mad. Um, that's, my, that's mad. Um, it takes eight minutes for light to, to reach the earth from the sun. Um, so the average distance from the Sun to Earth is about 150 million kilometers, um, and light travels at 300,000 kilometers per second, so that gives you 500 seconds for the light to reach us, which is about 8 minutes, 20 seconds. Um, and it, the energy uh, that is coming to us in light actually takes millions of years to move from the, Earth, from the Sun's core right to the surface of the Sun, and then it takes eight and a half minutes to get to us. Um, and Temperatures inside the sun can reach 15 million degrees Celsius. Um, And the sun is just like an average-sized star. It's not like a big deal or anything. It's just particularly average, to be honest. There's some bigger, some smaller. Um, The biggest star, I think, known in the universe, according to Google, don't come at me later, scientists, has a radius about 1,700 times the size of the sun. Um, so, the sun is obviously a star well, there 's lots of other stars, of course, but the sun as a star is this it's not it 's not let's say, a speck in the vast darkness that we look up in the sky or the, and then in the daylight it is it is significant of size, but when you actually get close up to it, you see that it 's like so huge, so massive um, it 's really all about uh, perspective when we walk walk outside, we notice the twinkling stars in sky at night but when you look through a telescope you see these spheres of raging fire you know millions of times larger than our world brighter than our eyes can bear surrounded by orbiting moons and rings and all sorts and um, the thing is when we when we look up at the sky nothing in the sky itself has changed when we look through the telescope um, it's our perspective that has changed um, we have looked through the, the telescope, and what has changed is our perspective. Let me tell you a different story. Um, I didn't really like dogs that much. And then in April last year, um, my wife convinced us that we should get a dog. Um, and she loves dogs, and she's had dogs all her life, and so we have a pup, nine-month-old pup called Fergie. Um, you can follow her on Instagram if you're into that sort of thing. Don't judge us. Don't judge us. It's just a bit of fun i tell you what, I am a convert now to, uh, to dogs, I must admit. Um, here's some cool stuff about dogs that I also Googled, um, but I can vouch for it from first hand. So dogs will greet you um, just like you've been away like for a f- century or something, and you've only been out for a five-minute walk to the shop. You come through the door, they will greet you. They'll watch TV with you without hogging the remote. Um, They'll find the greatest joy in the simplest things, like a car ride, like this. Um, They're the best because, I guess, unlike people, and most cats, don't hate me, they love (laughs) unconditionally. Dogs love unconditionally. Maybe cats do too. Um, They make a tough day at the office so much better. Research has shown that um, the workplace is actually a better place when you've got dogs around. They can relieve stress, apparently. So. Um, according to the American Heart Association, even owning a dog can reduce uh, your, and protect you from heart disease. Apparently so. Dogs make the best workout partners if you go going for a run with a dog. Um, uh, owning a dog can help kids learn about responsibility and empathy. Um, dogs know how to make a big splash, like this. Um, thought that was fun. Um, A dog's sense of smell is so good, according to um, some research, there are clinical trials to say that they can even detect certain cancers. Interesting. According to an article in The Times, having a dog in your family can actually help your kids from developing allergies. Interesting. Dogs can help you socialize and encourage you to get out. Um, Dogs will give you something to laugh and smile about every day. Every day is an adventure. Am I selling it? I'm not really sure if I'm selling it, but I love dogs now. Um, uh, and I don't know what has changed um, in the nine months since I, uh, we've had Fergie. Um, well, I think probably what's changed is, is perspective. It's perspective. Um, dogs used to be something away out there that I never had any contact with, and now I have one living in my own home. And um, Yeah, I got up close and personal with having my own dog perspective completely changed. Much like the perspective when you're gazing in the night sky and you see the star that is actually just so much more uh, huge and uh, amazing and awesome um, than when you just look at it with your naked eye. Um, I'm talking this morning about perspective. I'm talking about practicing presence with perspective. I want to talk about two women in the scriptures, um, and that is going to help us explore this a little bit further. Um, The first woman is called Mary and she had a sister called Martha. You've heard this story in Luke 10. Um, the scenes here in the New Testament, Jesus is visiting their home in Bethany and the disciples are there. Um, the disciples who are following Christ and there are also some onlookers that have come to see what this Jesus um, guy was all about. Um, and Martha, preoccupied and somewhat anxious, gets upset at Mary for not helping her um, with her responsibilities, hosting, in the home, something that was expected of every woman in the household. And instead, Mary sits at the feet of Jesus. And Jesus responds to Martha complaining about this. Um, He responds responds to her um, and was straight to the point and saying that Mary had indeed chosen the best thing, the better thing, to sit at the feet of the rabbi, meant to be in the presence. uh, listening and learning from their teaching. So, among all the deeper, um, significant um, stuff going on in this piece of scripture, um, Jesus actually is breaking down some cultural boundaries here by <laughs> having women women sit at his feet and welcoming and affirming woman who uh, 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 Mary as a as a as a woman on a discipleship journey. Aside from all that stuff that's going on in this in this text. Um, Here we have this simple idea again of perspective. What was the difference between Mary and Martha in this story? I believe it's perspective. They saw this very moment with Christ in their midst very, very differently. um, And their response then was different. Martha immediately jumped into that mode of serving and hosting responsibilities. Whereas Mary had a sense of awe or, or wonder, a desire to get up close to the feet of Jesus the rabbi instead of his feet. Um, Have you ever looked at that and thought about that little um, story from Mary's perspective? Mary was seeing something, an opportunity in that moment that Martha hadn't quite seen yet. Um, Yeah, she was up close in the presence of Christ. And she was longing to be um, disciple to experience the fruits of this new kingdom that Jesus had announced was near and had come. And so she was there sitting at his feet. No matter the implications, no matter who she was offending, whether it was her sister or the other people around her, the men around her, um, the onlookers, she didn't care. She just wanted to be there um, at the feet of Jesus because I believe she's eyes to see from a different perspective. And she was hungry for something more here's another story from the Gospels. Um, In Mark, um, there's a second woman who visits the house of Simon the Pharisee, and she comes into the house, and she anoints Jesus' feet with perfume from an alabaster jar. You know this story? You've heard it many times before. Um, And during the meal, yes, she comes in. It's a very very expensive perfume, it maybe costs about a year's wages this perfume and she proceeds to anoint Jesus in the company of these religious men and onlookers. And she begins to cry and she begins to have tears fall on Jesus' feet and she lets down her hair, which was a very intimate, risky thing for a woman to do in that society. And she uses her hair to wipe her tears and she kisses Jesus' feet and she pours the expensive perfume out on his feet. And Jesus declares, her many sins have been forgiven her, for she has loved much, to the outrage of those gathered uh, around her. It says in verse 4, in that passage in Mark's version of the story, some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And Jesus said, leave her alone. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you. And you can help them anytime you want, but you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. Truly I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her, which is what I'm doing right now, so that prophecy did come to be. Um, And an interesting little verse at the end, a couple of verses just tagged on there. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the 12, went to the chief priest to betray Jesus, uh, the money man in the the group. Um, Interesting little tag on there. What a waste, what a waste, what a waste was the cry from those around the table perfume could have fed the poor. It was a, a year's wages as we've said and, and yet Jesus rebukes them saying that this woman had done a beautiful thing. What was the difference between the, women, the woman here in this story and the men gathered around Jesus? I wanna say again that there's a perspective difference. There's a difference of perspective. Much like gazing up into the night sky It's just a different perspective when you look through the telescope, much like owning a dog is a very different perspective than just not having one and not experiencing it, just like the perspective that Mary had in that first story or the perspective that this woman has. There is a perspective of, of grace. There's a perspective of forgiveness. There's so much uh, going on um, through the eyes of that woman that saw Jesus so differently. She saw him up close and personal. She had eyes to see that he was worthy of her affection. Something had happened in her life. She had experienced the love and the grace of Christ. And whether she even knew it or not, she was anointing this king for burial. Jesus actually says that in the passage. An extravagant act of worship and devotion to Jesus. And despite what people around her thought, she couldn't do anything else but walk into that crowded room and and crack the perfume over his feet. It's a beautiful, beautiful image. I wanna just pause there before we go on. Maybe that's you this morning. Maybe you have faced ridicule um, for worshiping Jesus. Maybe you have encountered the radical grace of Jesus in your life like Ryan was saying during our worship time. The sweet encounter with Jesus, that salvation, that first encounter with him, what he has done in your life. You have a testimony of encountering that love and that grace. And all you want to do is pour out your affection to him, give your life to him. And sometimes maybe you've had rebuke or been judged for that. Um, I want to say that what Jesus says to that woman, he says to you that you're doing a beautiful thing. Or maybe you're like Mary in that first story who wants to sit at the feet of Jesus. Maybe that's your desire. You want to learn. You want to grow. Maybe that's who you are. That's You've chosen the good thing, as Jesus said. Or maybe you're Martha in this. Maybe some of you can rarely resonate with the Martha. I certainly can. Um, I can really relate to the Martha in that story. When your job is to work in a faith community like this, sometimes you just preoccupy yourself with doing all the stuff, and your heart is just parked in neutral, if I'm being honest. Sometimes that can be where I find myself, and I'm busy trying to get people to serve and sign up to stuff and do things. And you just find yourself months, maybe even years down the line, a little bit distant from the Lord. These encounters with Jesus um, are like many of the encounters in this room. Whether you can resonate with Martha a little bit or Mary or the woman with the alabaster jar. There's a difference of perspective in these stories. And I think perspective is really important for us this morning to, to think about. Practicing presence with perspective with the way that we see there are encounters all over the scriptures like this. I'm thinking particularly of that passage in Isaiah chapter 6. Have you, do you read, is that, does anyone know that passage? You know the, the passage where Isaiah says, I have, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. And above him were seraphim, each with six wings, And he goes on to say, and they they were calling out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the sound of the voices, the doorposts and the threshold shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. And Isaiah then said, woe is me. I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. My eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. And if you know that story, you know that Isaiah, the Lord, then addresses Isaiah, saying, whom shall I send? Whom whom shall go for us? And Isaiah then responds, I believe in an act of worship and surrender. Here I am, send me. Here I am, send me. But it started out with these eyes that have seen the King. There is a perspective that Isaiah has in this passage. It's the same as Mary, and the same as the one with the alabaster jar of perfume with Christ later on in the New Testament, that they have a difference of perspective. And so the question that comes to us as a small community here in Belfast in 2020, the start of the year is, you know, have your eyes seen the king? Have your eyes seen the king? When was the last time you just stopped to look, to gaze? ponder, to consider the beauty of the God we worship, the beauty of Christ. Much like the stars in the sky, our God doesn't change. It's when we magnify God, it's us who changes our perspective, our viewpoint. He, he is always the same, but we can get up close and we can get personal, we can see the Lord, much like Isaiah. Psalm 34. 34, oh, O magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name forever. Magnifying, cherishing the greatness of God, getting our eyes on the King is at the heart of biblical worship. And I believe it's at the heart of a life that is practicing the presence. Is about perspective and laying our eyes on the King. Have you seen the King John Stott says that all true worship is a response to the self-revelation of God in Christ and Scripture and arises from our reflection on who he is and what he has done. The worship of God is evoked, informed, and inspired by the vision of God. True knowledge of God will always lead us To worship. One of the first things as a worship leader I learned in my teenage years was that worship is basically about two things revelation and response. Revelation and response. That's what John Stott is talking about here. God reveals himself and then we respond. That's what's going on in Isaiah 6. The Lord is seated on the throne and there is this heavenly scene where the angels are worshiping. There is a revelation of the Almighty and then there is a response from Isaiah when he gazes his eyes upon the Lord. Revelation and response. We've been doing a lot of responding in worship this morning. We sing a lot of songs that were calling us to respond, but maybe we need to take a longer look at who he is, what he has done. Where do you start when we get to all this practically? Like where do we start to do this? I want to start just like John Stott has encouraged us there. I think we can start with who he is, his nature, and we can start with what he has done, his works. That's the kind of perspective I believe that we are called to as people following Jesus to get a perspective of who who is this God that we worship and follow and what are the works that he has done. Let's think about his nature. We've been singing about it this morning as Matt and Rebecca led us. In Psalm 145, the Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all and his mercy is over all that he has made. That's speaking about something about the nature of God that he is gracious and he is compassionate he is kind he is good he is steadfast in love psalm 117 says praise the lord extol him all peoples for he is great for great is his steadfast love toward us and the faithfulness of the lord endures forever speaking about his faithfulness psalm 99 let him let them praise your great and awesome name holy is he. And on this side of the, of the incarnation and Pentecost, in the, in the church that we find ourselves today, we can see more of His greatness. We worship God as Father, as Son, and as Holy Spirit, who in some mysterious way are eternally coexistent, co equal, co glorious. We magnify the endless glories, perfections, and beauty. There's no limit to his holiness, glory, sovereignty, no end to his riches, wisdom, and righteousness. All his attributes exist in perfect harmony, perfect balance, perfect cooperation, no contradiction, no confusion, and no diminishing of their glory forever. No wonder Paul breaks into worship. In Romans 11, when he describes God's greatness like this Oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God! How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. We can, we, we, we will never ever exhaust that gaze upon the nature of God. That is a that is a thousand lifetimes, a million lifetimes of, of endless study and reflection and contemplation. But we move on. How else can we get perspective? Maybe we could consider not only his nature, but his works. The Psalms resign with these detailed praises of the Lord's wondrous works. Our worship should too. Our perspective should too. We must not be like those who, as Psalm 28 says, do not regard the works of the Lord or the works of his hands. We should sing to him, sing praises to him, tell of his wondrous works, as Psalm 105 says. Or as Psalm 111, great are the works of the Lord studied by all who delight in them. Here's the thing, our God created everything from Nothing is a mystery, we're not gonna, it's a mystery. And spoke the universe, this is the story that we're part of, this is the narrative that we're part of. Spoke the universe into existence and sustains all living things and all matter, all matter in his word. His power holds all things together and keeps them suspended in perfect balance. Our God is the cosmic creator who is majestic and powerful, who was before all things, who holds and sustains the very cosmos, who breathes and sustains life. Our God is in the business of redeeming this world back to the original beauty that he created through the Christ story. He is redeeming this world, reshaping this world, reshaping cultures and societies. He's remapping the landscape of humanity. He's restoring the beauty of his creation. He's ushering in his glorious kingdom of perfect rule and perfect reign, of overthrowing the powers of corruption and darkness that cause brokenness, that cause death. Our God who is in Christ is realigning his creation from chaos back to its intended order. And this God is available for you and for me and for us today, for us to sit at his feet and to gaze upon him in his presence by his spirit. If you're in Christ today, this is the God that we worship. This is who he is. This is what he has done. This is the story that we are part of. And we are invited like a divine invitation to sit at his feet, to gaze upon his beauty, to gaze upon his glory, to have that encounter with the king. You've heard me use this quote before, G.K. Chesterton He says that sometimes our religion can be more of a theory than a love affair. And I do believe that the Gospels, the Scriptures teach us that our faith is not a theory. And sometimes I'm even guilty of it getting just stuck in my head when our relationship with him is Akin more to a love affair, akin more to the kind of devotion that would rise up in us where we crack a perfume over his feet, that kind of exuberant love and adoration and devotion. Psalm 34 taste and see that the Lord is good. Breathe deep and enjoy the breath, the great grace of his breath in our lungs. Experience him present with you and shift your perspective. We started off this series with making these three observations. Do you remember I showed Greta Thunberg on the screen? We were sort of saying that there's something not quite right in the world, you know, when it takes like a 17-year-old Girl to draw attention to some of the biggest crises going on on our planet. The promises of our culture and the promises of the political elites, that things are getting better, are lies, and they're falling flat. We have endless possibilities and opportunities today to pursue pleasure and desire, and yet so many of us are miserable or anxious, or the world is fraying. We can traverse geography, time and space and yet loneliness is really growing. Silicon Valley promises a better connected world through social media and yet making it more tolerant apparently and yet that that claim looks ridiculous now to be honest. The assurances that the globalized world will be fairer, more peaceful, more prosperous seem a bit shaky if we're being honest. The Secular project is sort of failing us. I think we're all really hungry and tired of it and weary of it. And I think that we need something to change in our own personal lives and in our lives as church. I believe what needs to change is our perspective. We're like Dorothy in the Wizard of Oz. We have that ache for home. We want to get home. And home is in the presence of the Lord. Did you know that in the post-war era, since World War II, depression has gone up by a thousand percent, 10 times more prevalent than it was a lifetime ago. There's an epidemic of that. The primary theory for that from one of the most prominent psychologists in our day, Martin Sullivan says this, as a society we have lost a sense of connection to something that is greater than ourselves. Something transcendent and good. Something that can command our devotion and allegiance, in other words, something that's worthy of our worship. We've reduced all of life to the single lowest common denominator, the self. The secular project is the self. And it's too small a package to carry the weight of the human hunger that we have for meaning and glory and transcendence. The self can't carry it. We need new eyes and we need new perspective. We are made to have minds that are enthralled with the divine. Like when we look through that telescope and we see something that no one else can see. Perspective. i Thinking a lot about the greatest commandment, you know, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. It's interesting, like, how do you love God with your mind? Thinking well, thinking hope-filled thoughts, lovely thoughts about God, or feeding your mind and your soul with thoughts about God. How do we do this perspective? Just before I get into this, I've been having a bit of neck trouble this week, and I've been Googling a little bit about that. And I'm hoping to go and see a physio at some point, but in my research, I've discovered this thing called text neck. Have you heard of this? It's basically um, it's basically what happens when we, you see the profile of my, the profile of my neck, just looking down like that? Nerd neck, there you go. Text neck pa- is what it came up on Google for me anyway, Rand. so there you go. Um... I'm not saying, I don't know if that's anything to do with my neck, but I I discovered this in my research. And um, there's something interesting about where our eyes are looking when we're looking down at our devices. And I do, I use devices all the time, and I use screens all the time, and they're helpful for so many things. But I feel so called to change my perspective, to change my perspective. Here is a tip, stop and smell the roses. putting the phone away, and don't walk past the roses. Like, stop and smell the roses. It's basically my preach today. Stop and smell the roses. A rose is a lovely thing, but it's so easy to overlook. It's so easy to get busy like Martha. It's so easy to miss the whole point. It's so easy to walk out and gaze at the night sky and not see the glory of the things that we are staring at. To enjoy a rose, I must stop and I must focus on it. And when I do that, I can delight in it, in its nature as a rose. And when we bring it before our senses and our mind and we linger there, the rose produces delight. I think that is a picture of worship. That is a picture of worship. It is possible, Redeemer Central, to grow in your love for God as in like to move from one point to another point to another point, that we can grow in our affections and our love and our experience of of God. There is more for us. He is making us more and more like Christ. The journey is not done. To do it, I believe it's about perspective and gazing at a rose is not burdensome gazing at a sunset is not burdensome. And to worship and to look upon the beauty of the Lord, to have eyes to see him in his splendor, to see his love for us, to see his grace, to see the beauty of Christ is not burdensome. As Stephanie prophesied over me this morning in the prayer room, his burden is light and his yoke is easy. And yet we make it so complicated I believe one of the words that the Lord has for us as a church, and I've heard a few of our leaders speak about this recently, is we complicate this so much. Faith becomes this theoretical riddle that needs sometimes to be, un, to be helpfully deconstructed so that we can just get down to the heart of it, which is to sit at the feet of Jesus and to enjoy his presence. And just to think, when you gaze at a a rose or a a sunset, just to have curiosity and wonder, (laughs) who thought that up? Why should there be such beauty there? What a good God our God must be. That's cultivating worship in our hearts. If we walk past the rose, walk past the sunset, we'll miss it. I actually believe that we can make our way home like Dorothy. I believe that the Jesus way is a way to survive the secular project so that we are not anxious people, disorientated people. I believe that we can not even just survive, but thrive. And I believe that perspective is key. Practicing the presence of God with perspective. We talked about doing this series, I'm going on a little bit, but I'm nearly finished, guys. Um, I talked a little bit about um, this series. We, we talked about ways in which we can do this, and we've been looking at different ways each week that we can practice the presence of God. The first week, we talked about fasting. Last week, Ryan talked to us about prayer. We're talking to you about perspective worship this week. And Jeremiah 6 says this, stand at the crossroads and look and ask for the ancient paths, Ask where the good way is and walk in it and you will find rest for your souls. This is what we're doing as a a church in this series. We're looking for those ancient paths for the good way. and We're trying to walk in it because we believe that the secular project is failing us. We're all tired and exhausted and glued to our devices. There's got to be a better way. We've got to help each other along the way. Did you know that you did not come to church today, Redeemer? But you are the church You came to worship. You came to a worship gathering of the church. You didn't come to church, you are the church. You came here to worship. And so the worship of the church is our priority, I guess, in these days. The church would rediscover its ability to sit at the feet of Jesus, to look and have eyes, to see the king, to see his beauty. And I believe that that will help us to thrive in a world that isn't thriving. I'd love you to stand. I'd love to invite Matt and Rebecca to come up. And we're gonna just practice the presence of God right now. How about that? If you're with me, um, if you want perspective change this morning, if you want yes, yes, if, you're, if, if, you, if, if your soul is saying yes to what I am sharing this morning, if the Spirit is provoking you this morning, is challenging this morning, is inspiring you this morning, then I, I'd love you to, to do something to that revelation. I'd love you to respond. If, if, if the Spirit has revealed Christ to you today in a deeper way, I'd love you to respond. And I'd love you to respond by just putting out your hands just like this. And maybe you've never done that before, ever. And there's nothing magic about that. It's just a symbol. It's an embodiment of, here I am, Lord, as Isaiah said, here I am, Lord. I want to just read this over us. This is truth about who God is this morning, about who He is. God is bigger than our problems and our pains. He is greater than our sorrows and successes. He is more significant than our tests and our triumphs. He's greater than our trials and he is kinder than we can ever imagine. The Son of God, the King and Redeemer, the Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, our mediator, our intercessor, the Lord, our banner, the Lord, our shepherd the Lord of hosts, the Lord, our righteousness, the mighty one, the holy one, the judge and the deliverer, our shield and the son of righteousness, the ancient of days, the everlasting one, our strength, the mighty God, the wonderful counselor, the high priest, the everlasting father, the prince of peace, our counselor, Our advocate, amen. You want to say amen to this? You can. Our baptizer, our sanctifier, our father, our savior, our provider, our healer, our peace, our shepherd, the God who sees, the God who knows us, the God who invites us. Father, by grace, and for your glory, we pray that you would call us to be a people of worship and praise, a people of perspective, a people with eyes that have seen the King. Lord, would you restore to us the wonder of worship and the joy of your presence. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. We have run on this morning, but we're going to, if you have to go, go, be blessed. But we are going to continue to worship and we're going to have the table as we do every week, as we celebrate Christ as the true God revealed in the face of Christ, the one who gave his life for us, the one who gave us a meal and invites us to that meal to find him waiting for us. So come come, if you know Christ this morning or if you want to know Christ this morning, you want new eyes to see the King, you want new perspective, you want to see your heart enlarged and wonder, then come to the table, break bread, drink wine, celebrate Christ today. We're going to sing and we're going to praise Him. We're going to respond to what the Spirit has been saying to us this morning. So let's Let's lift our voices in worship and praise and let's come to the table and break bread and drink wine together.